0: The last time the JWs were at my door, they were trying to convince me that I believed what they believed. I said, do you worship Christ? They said, no. Then you don't believe the God that I believe in the Bible. Because in the Bible, they worship Jesus Christ. The blind man in John 9 will fall at his feet and worship him. The two women in the garden tomb will fall at the feet of the resurrected Lord and worship Him. Thomas will fall and say, my Lord and my God, and in Revelation chapter 5, all of heaven is worshiping Him. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, A Deceiver, Deranged, or Deity. There is a belief by many who have not thoroughly studied the Bible that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. But as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, we find that in chapter 5, verses 18 through 24, just one of the many places that Jesus affirms his deity and places himself on par with God the Father. We began to look yesterday at the reaction that the religious leaders had, and as we begin today, we find in verse 23, Jesus' is called to be honored just as the Father is honored. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues.
0: So the Jews here accuse him of blasphemy because he makes himself equal with the Father. Instead of denying their accusation, he goes on to affirm it, to endorse it. Today, if a man said he was God, you'd think he was either joking or he was mentally disturbed. Christ, obviously, is not mentally disturbed. He's not insane. And he, from everything you said, from everything that he says here, is a sound-minded person. No, he is claiming to be Lord, and this is no joke, and so you have to decide today. Is, as the third-century apologist said... Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Is he a conniver? Is he a crazy? Or is the Christ? Is he a deceiver? Is he deceived? Or is he deity? You must decide. So number one, he claims to be equal with God in nature. Number two, I want you to notice that Christ claimed to be equal with God in power. Look at verse 19. Jesus therefore answered them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless this is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. Now why does Jesus say the Son can do nothing of himself? Because for the simple reason the Son of God has become the Son of Man. This one who had no beginning or end. There was never a time when Christ was not. But there was a time when he did not have a human body. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, a child will be born unto us, and this child's name will be called Mighty God. The Bible predicted of Messiah that a baby would be born, and this would be no ordinary baby, that this baby would be called Almighty God. God became a man. And so when Christ became a man, the Bible teaches in the book of Philippians, he gave up none of his divine attributes. But in becoming a man, he humbled himself to live like a man. That unless the father specifically instructed him to exercise his divine initiatives, his divine attributes, and so at times he did. He said, Peter, there's a fish in the sea. Put your hook in it. The first one you pull up, it's got a coin in its mouth. That's omniscience. And other times he says, oh, who did this? And so he chose to live in dependence upon the Father, to do exactly what the Father wanted him to do. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Again, claiming equality with God. What God sees, I see. What God does, I do. The point is very clear. He is saying, I am as divine as the Father. For the Father, verse 20, loves the Son and shows Him all things that He is doing. Now, do you remember a few months ago in our introduction to this gospel, we read in the prologue, John 1.18, Jesus said, No man, or John wrote, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten, the uniquely begotten God, that's Jesus, who's in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. You and I could really not understand God in the way we can today unless God put a face on himself. And he did in Jesus Christ. The Father has explained him. The Greek word is the word that we get our English word exegesis from. A good pastor is to exegete the scripture. He does not read into the Bible, at least he's not supposed to. But he's to bring out truths that were there all the time for anyone to see. In the same way, when Jesus Christ took on human flesh, he fully, accurately, authoritatively exegeted, explained, expounded the Father. You say, how does, he do, how does he do that? How does he show us the Father? Very simple. He sees what the Father does, and out of his love for the Father, he does what the Father does. And so he will later say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. The love that the father has for the son moved him to show him things that he will show no one else. Jesus looked at that crippled man there at the pool of Bethesda. He looked at the father. The father looked at him. Father said, heal him. Jesus healed him. Pick up your pallet and walk. Sabbath or not, he had the Father's approval. So he healed the man. And so Jesus, in essence, is saying, I'm not breaking the Sabbath because everything I do, I see the Father do. And so for you to say that I am breaking the Sabbath, you are saying that God the Father is breaking the Sabbath. Do you see the argument? Verse 21, he continues, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he raises. Now, the Old Testament Jews again believed that only God could raise the dead. Do you remember Naam, when he went to the king of Israel to be cured of his leprosy? the king replied, am I God to kill or to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Do you remember Ezekiel when God gave him that vision of the valley of dry bones? When he looks down the corridors of time and he sees the Jewish people coming to faith in the Messiah? Therefore, prophesy and say to these dry bones, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. The Jew recognized that God and only God gives life to the dead. Now, certainly Elijah the prophet brought someone back to life as did the apostles Peter and Paul. But they didn't do it in their own power. They claimed simply to be instruments of Almighty God. Jesus did not claim to be an instrument of God. He claimed to be God. And by the way, while they raised people from the dead, no one ever raised one out of a grave but Jesus. He will illustrate that later in this gospel, one week before his crucifixion. He'll call Lazarus out of a grave who'd been there four days. And it's prophetic of what Messiah will do as Daniel the prophet predicted when he will call all the dead out of the graves and give life. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He pleases. Now we just read in verse 19 that the Son can do nothing of Himself. And yet this verse tells me that in essence, the son's will, the son's pleasure, the son's choices are so completely one with the father that he can make the same kinds of crucial decisions that the father makes. The son also gives life to whom he pleases. He's equal with God in nature. He is equal with God in power because only God can raise people from the dead. Third, I want you to see He is equal with God in authority. Verse 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Now it has long been recognized by all peoples since the beginning of time that God alone will ultimately judge the hearts and minds of men. Abraham in the first book of the Bible said, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? The Orthodox Jew knew that Jehovah God was the judge of all the earth, and no man dared take that title to himself. And yet, this verse tells us that the Father has delegated all judgment to the Son, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he gives all judgment to the Son by claiming to be the judge... He is claiming to be God. Whether saved or lost, we are all someday going to appear before him. Now, a saved people, in one sense, as we'll see in a moment, will not be judged, as Jesus will say, not in reference to sin, if you've accepted the one who took the judgment in your stead. Though there is a judgment you will face as a Christian, it's a solemn judgment, not for sin, but for service. It's called the Bema Seat. God will look at everything you've done and reward you accordingly. But then there's a judgment, an entirely different judgment. In fact, it's about a thousand years after the believer's judgment. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment when all of the lost people of all time and eternity will stand before God Almighty to hear and see that the wrath that God will lay upon them is just now, we just studied a few weeks ago in John chapter 3 that Christ did not come into the world the first time to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But the time he comes the second time, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And the fact that he claims to be judge is a claim that he has a personal knowledge, an omniscient knowledge of everyone who has ever lived in all of time. He has a detailed acquaintance of everything you and I have ever said or spoken, everything we've ever thought. He has a perfect grasp on all of the laws of God to judge righteously. Hey, it amazes me how anyone could say that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. His claims are so clear in this chapter. All judgment is given to the Son. Why? In order, verse 23... That all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Reason why the Father entrusted all judgment to the Son is given. That all may honor the Son in the exact same way they honor the Father. Now, what do you call a person who sits in a courtroom as a judge? What's the colloquialism we use? Your honor, exactly, your honor. You treat him with great respect. This verse is saying that God the Father delegated all judgment to God the Son, that men might say, your honor. That they might give him the same honor that they give to the Father. No mortal man would dare ask anyone to give them the same honor that God the Father deserves. But this is no more mere mortal man. To make such a statement, they ought to either stone him as a blasphemer or bow at his feet and worship him. Either he is supremely deluded and must be dismissed as an absolute fool or you must fall at his feet and worship him as Lord. He goes on, if one is true, then what follows is true. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me people who ignore Christ, who claim, well, I worship God, I just don't worship Jesus Christ, are either deceived or mistaken. I don't usually read the church page, but I read it last time for the first time in probably a couple years. Usually the only people who read the church page are pastors. In fact, I tell Rick, I said, don't ever advertise on the church page. Nobody reads it. Get on the sports page or the movie page or But as I was looking at that, I was just reminded, here we've got some liberal Protestant churches in our town that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. In the last few years, we have the Christian Science Movement that's come in. They deny the deity of Christ. We now have the Unity Movement here in our town. They deny the deity of Christ. We have Unitarian Universalists. They deny the deity of Christ. We have uh, Jehovah's Witness and Mormons. They deny the deity of Christ. And so these people are going to show up at your door or you'll meet them in a dorm room or you'll hear some college professor as I heard when I was a student. Jesus never claimed to be God. Friend, I want to tell you, He claimed it. And you cannot say that I worship God but I don't acknowledge His Son because this verse is explicitly clear. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Don't let these cults teach you that they believe what we believe because they do not. They may use the same terms. You just pull away all the fog and ask them one question. Do you worship Jesus Christ? The last time the JWs were at my door, they were trying to convince me that I believed what they believed. I said, do you worship Christ? They said, no. Then you don't believe the God that I believe in the Bible. Because in the Bible, they worship Jesus Christ. The blind man in John 9 will fall at his feet and worship him. The two women in the garden tomb will fall at the feet of the resurrected Lord and worship him. Thomas will fall and say, my Lord and my God. And in Revelation chapter 5, all of heaven is worshiping him. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. What is to be given to the father is to be given to the son. Look at the 24th verse. It begins truly, truly. That's important. He's saying, pay attention. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him, who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Jesus said in verse 21 that the Son gives life to whom he pleases. Now he defines who these people are whom he's pleased to give life to. If you hear his word and believe in the Father who sent him, only then do you have eternal life. By the way, hearing His word and believing the Father's words are equated here. And would you please notice there's no mention here about baptism, church membership, following the Ten Commandments, or anything else like it. You are not saved by human effort. The argument of this gospel, is that you can only be saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As Paul will argue to the Galatian church, if a man can be saved by his deeds, Christ died in vain. And would you please also note the tense of eternal life. Not you will have, but he that believes has eternal life. These dear Christian people who say that you can lose eternal life have missed it. Eternal life is not simply a place. It is a relationship with God, as John 17, 3 states. It's something I can have today. He that believes has right now eternal life. How can you lose something that's eternal? That's an oxymoron. And so we who believe in the Lord Jesus do not have to wait until the... The dead are arraigned before the Supreme Court of the universe to find out what the verdict will be. It is very clear. He who believes will not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. But for the non-Christian, all his judgment is ahead. For us, it's behind us. Now, those are three claims that he makes. Secondly, this morning, I want you to notice three actions that he takes. He doesn't just make claims. He's going to take some actions as well. Number one, I want you to see he has the power of life in his hands. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. Now, what does Christ mean in verse 25 when he says an hour is coming and now is? You might want to circle those words, now is, because they are key to understanding the verse. John is writing about a coming hour. He's going to explain that to us in verse 28, when the dead of all time will be raised. But he's also speaking about an hour that now is. So there is an hour that now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and come to life. That's something that happens today. It's called being born again. When God knocks at your heart's door and you hear the gospel and you open your heart to Him by trusting in Him as your personal Lord in Christ, then you have life. He speaks life to that which is spiritually dead. All of us are born into this world, physically alive, spiritually dead. And that's why in the Bible, we are compared to a corpse. A lost sinner is as lifeless and as helpless as a corpse. Now, it doesn't matter how well the undertaker may prepare the corpse, and no corpse is deader than another corpse. If you're dead, you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And so today when the sinner hears the word of God and it pokes and pricks on the heart, and they say, yes, Lord Jesus, and they embrace him, they have new life, and our eternal destiny has changed. So he says in verse 26, for just as the Father has life in himself, Even so, he, the Father, gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Now remember the miracle at the Pool of Bethesda, where he gives us a sign. Remember, he uses this word in John's Gospel for miracles, sign, sameon. It's a specialized word for miracle. It means a miracle with a message. So John selects seven miracles, because each miracle has a message about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, here is this man at the pool of Bethesda, crippled for 38 years by his sin. And it's a reminder that we are crippled by our sin. And the Lord speaks and he hears the word and instantly he is healed. Christ can do that. Why? Because he has life in himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Not only does he have life, he gives life. He is the life giver. Hey, this is a tremendous claim. Because it is abundantly clear in the Old Testament that only God has life in Himself. It was God who breathed into Adam and made Him a living soul. So God is described in the Old Testament as the fountain of life, as the path of life, as the preserver of life. And so, like the Father, the Son has life in Himself. Like Father, like Son. Now, we derive our life from God. We're finite. God is infinite. We we describe ourselves in terms of time. We say, I was. Uh, I am, I will be. But God describes himself, I am, I am, I am. You know, kids ask you, who made God? kids ever ask you that, huh? I tell them, well, if somebody made God, that person would be God. Our puny little tiny minds can't fully comprehend it. But Jesus Christ is claiming equality with God the Father and claiming to have life in himself. Notice also, he claims to have judgment in his hands. He has the power of judgment in his hands. Look at verse 27. And he gave him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Why? Because... He's the Son of Man. Hold your finger here, would you? Go to the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7. If you're new to the Bible, find Psalms. It's right in the middle of the Bible. And scan to the right of Psalms, and before too long, you will hit Daniel. And go to the 7th chapter. This is important, this term Son of Man, because it appears 12 times in the Gospel of John, 80 times in all four Gospels. But you need to understand its original meaning, and as Jesus uses it, what he is actually claiming. Now understand there's only one place in all of the Old Testament where the term Son of Man is found. Daniel chapter 7. Let me set it in the context, follow the argument, and I think you'll see the power of the statement that he's making to these people who are listening to him. Daniel 7, verse 9. Daniel writes as he's given this vision, I kept looking until thrones were set up. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands and thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Now, by the way, this is the only time in all of the Bible where God, and it's a reference to the Father, as we'll see in a moment, is referred to as the Ancient of Days. You know, we sing that song, Ancient of Days. You know it? That is a designation given to God the Father. Now, when the Mormons show up at your door and they show you a picture of God the Father, so here's God the Father, let me flip the page, here's God the Son, and understand God does not have a human body, and yet he is described in human terms in this vision. Why? Because God wants to describe to us what he is like. And so in the scripture, metaphorically, it speaks of the eyes of the Lord and God's arms and God's feet and God's face and so forth to communicate certain truths about Almighty God. So Daniel has this vision of God the Father in human form so that by means of symbol, we can understand his holiness, his eternality, his glory. And by the way, this vision that he has of the Ancient of Days, God the Father, is virtually identical to the vision in Revelation chapter 1 that John has of the exalted risen Christ. And you would expect that because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now look at verse 9. Let's step through it. He said, I kept looking until thrones were set up. As we'll see in a minute, a judgment is about ready to take place. God is getting ready for the judgment, and so the courtroom is being set up. And here there's a mention of thrones, plural, and then his throne, God the Father's throne, identical to the picture in Revelation 4, where you see God the Father sitting on a throne and 24 thrones around him. And the scene corresponds perfectly with those two chapters where Revelation 4 and 5 blend God the Father on the throne in Revelation 4, God the Son on the throne, the Lamb of God in Revelation chapter 5. Now, the Ancient of Days is really a beautiful description to describe the Father. We think of the term ancient as old, and it's just a metaphor to describe the eternality of God. Notice it says his vesture was was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His dazzling white garment in his hair is white as wool. That speaks of his holiness. So Isaiah says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. White as snow, white like wool, speaks of purity of holiness in Scripture. Scripture. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Now, God is often pictured in the Bible with fire because it pictures his wrath against sin. Now, most non-Christians can quote 1 John, God is love. But they can't quote Hebrews 12. God is a consuming fire, which speaks of God's hatred, for sin. I was reading in the Psalms this week, righteousness and judgment are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes out from before him and burns up his adversaries round about. God is not sitting on his throne, naughty, naughty, naughty little kids. No, he's angry. And he will punish sin.
1: If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 877- and requesting program John 013 Maybe you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Carl personally. You can do that tomorrow between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program The Bible Line. You can also listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures